It's January 21st, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We hope you enjoyed last week's uh, first, uh, I guess it's the first international series episode about Japan. We had a a lot of fun with that. We hope you hope you really enjoyed it. But for this week, we're, we're going to take a pause on that and try to spread that out a little bit. So this week, we are hopping on to a totally different topic. And I'm going to let Matthew, uh, Matthew, you're up. I'm going to let you, you tell him what it is we're talking about today, because this is really all your idea. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about parenting as architects whether you are pet parents or kid parents they both count in my book larry and i have dogs running around the house and as we as we have mentioned on the podcast before i also have fraternal twin two-year-olds as well and over the years of pet ownership and in my brief time with the twins so far our experiences as parents have I've noticed that they have impacted how we see spaces and and how we do our jobs as architects. Yeah, as you said, as a pet parent, I definitely definitely have noticed that over time. So so what we're going to do is we're going to highlight some of the some of the aspects of parenting as an architect and how having you know both dogs and our kids around really has changed how we do our job as architects. And Matthew, I know, I know. So far, you know, this is you're only a couple of years into into the twins, but there have been tons of stories in the last two years as you have just sort of grown into this role as a parent. And what are some of the highlights that that you've had so far, just from a, from an architect's perspective? What, what's been some of the highlights of of being a parent? So the most recent example that comes to my mind was when we were over at a friend's house on a play date. And before anybody gets up in arms over oh, COVID restrictions, social distancing, all that, this is the one. This is the one couple that we hang out with on a regular basis. We contact tracing is is pretty simple because it's us, them, and my mother in law essentially. So they're 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 it's it's perfectly fine at least from our perspective. But anyway, with within five minutes of being in their house, Riley just starts sprinting back and forth very excitedly across their living room and at first we were all just trying to figure out where this sudden burst of energy came from because she's not normally the 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 highly excitable type and she i mean she she was she was laughing and 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 just having the time of her life with it and she was running like that because she had discovered the house's pier and beam foundation and liked the sound it made as she ran across it. But I thought, Hey, you know, that's really cool from an architect's perspective to see that, you know, my two year old has felt and heard the difference in the floor and the foundation to notice that, Hey, something's different here. And uh, I, I thought I was like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. I, I, I'm, I'm just, fascinated by that because I, I wouldn't it wouldn't dawn on me that that a two-year-old would pick up on the difference but but there is that that sensation and I think I'm wondering how much of it is is sound versus actual feel for running across the floor because a lot of times 
Pier and Beam Foundations will actually have a little give to them as well. So if, if she's used to running on the cost like a slab foundation, there isn't any give there. And now suddenly she's running across this floor and there's a little bit of bounce to it. And how much fun is that? But but honestly, I think the the favorite example that that you shared with me in the past, and we <laughs> we've talked about this a couple of times just offline, is Williams, you know, Riley is is having fun, you know, obviously with with the floor thing, but but Williams' odd fascination with all of your electrical outlets. When you started telling me about that, I thought, oh, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. So Williams first. So 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 for most kids, the the idea that electrical outlets are fascinating. Like there are these there's these holes in the wall. You can you it looks like maybe you can put something in there. They're right at like eye level if you're crawling or or even even pre- pretty close if you're just walking around. And, and so William's first thought wasn't, oh, I'm going to put my, because uh, usually you see, you hear kids, stories of kids who put forks into the electrical outlets or, or crayons or, or something, something round, something that looks like it might go there. But, but no, the, so his first experience with an electrical outlet was actually him trying to stick his tongue into it. And, and of course, we're right there. We're right on top of him. We pull him away. We're just like, hey, dude, you got to stop that. That's not good. <laughs> and, and so from there, after after we quickly baby-proofed all the electrical outlets because we hadn't had any problems up to that point, the, the next step was, well, he, he, he's like, well, okay, you've baby-proofed them. My job now is to, is to remove that. So then his next greatest challenge was to remove the, the, the covers from the outlets so that he could continue playing with them and hopefully not sticking his tongue into there. But his solution to that when he couldn't get the, the baby-proofing off of the walls was he just was going to rip out the entire cover. So then I eventually just had to replace the entire cover because he had physically ripped it off the wall. He's a very strong kid. And and then and then the third step is after so after we finally replaced the outlet covers with with some sturdier and more more baby proof this is the ultimate of outlet covers for baby proofing <laughs> after we we've finished all that he's he's watching me install these with screwdrivers and screws and 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 little plastic spacers and and all this other stuff after we're done with that he sees me sticking the screwdriver into the into the sockets and, and twisting things. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to pick up dad's spare screwdriver and I'm going to go start doing that, which again is a little bit more normal, but you're still like, hold on there, buddy. We're, we're, we're not getting there. So it, it, it was a giant long process of, of making sure to get everything, everything locked down in terms of electricity from him. But whew, that was, it was, it was, it, it was quite it was quite a quite a weekend <laughs> we had going there but enough about me Larry I, I know you and James so we'll move on from from my parenting stories but Larry you you and James are dog parents what interesting things have you seen from a pet perspective well I, I haven't seen anyone trying any dog trying to go lick electrical outlets so that's a plus but I think the first thing that really maybe really clued me into this idea that we consider pets. So, you know, as pet owners, we really pay attention to to the built environment around them. Was was we had a client who we were doing a new house for, and they had show dogs. I mean, this is something they did. They they went to all the dog shows and presented. I guess I don't know how what you would call it, but 
to accommodate their two dogs, and they were pretty good sized dogs. We the the firm I was with the architect had designed a room that was very specific to the dogs, and it was all it was was for the dogs. There was a door coming in from outside, and then there was a door that actually went into the house. But that room, the sole purpose was for bathing and grooming those dogs. Nothing else went in there. There was a special bath that we built for them so that they could fit in there, and the owners could could go ahead and bathe them and get them all dried and everything. All the millwork, everything was built specifically around these two dogs. And it was, it just, it would never have occurred to me. And of course, at the time, I don't think I owned, we hadn't gotten a dog yet. This is, would have been probably 98 or 99. And we didn't get a dog till 2001. So it never occurred to me that someone would do this, do this type of thing, that, that an owner would go to this extent just to accommodate a pet. So yeah, that, that was really that, that, that first moment of going, aha, okay, you know, this is, this is going to be important. You know, now, now we think about these things, of course, because we were used to having dogs. And one of the big things for us has been that our front doors, the, the original front doors of the house were solid and we replaced them with, um, French doors that actually have glass in them. So, so you can see outside and and we're fine with that. It's not a big deal for us, but what we've discovered is that for the dogs, this is really critical because it gives them a free window to the outside world and they can see everything going by. If, If the curtains are closed on other windows, they can always go to the front door and see what's going on. And especially for right now for boo, because we're down to one dog, that's where she hangs out when we're not here. When we go somewhere and we're going to be gone for a while, every time we come home, she is at the front door because she can poke her head up and see who's coming and then go back to sleep. So so every time we pull into the driveway, there she is at the at the door staring out the window. And and it's gotten to the point where where we thought, you know, what we need to do. We need to build like a little ledge right at the bottom of the glass. She, She can just sort of lay there on the floor and just rest her head there and sleep. So she doesn't have to do too much work, you know, getting up and down all the time. But yeah, it's, it's funny that we have that, that sort of mindset has changed, and especially as an architect. And I think James just as an owner has really picked up on those things too. But, but from an architect perspective, that, that really is, you're, you're suddenly, suddenly very aware of, of how your dogs or your pets really interact with everything else that's going on. You know, for, for for me, that's that's a, a real dog thing, and I know you have dogs too. But but from a parenting perspective, from from someone who has kids, what are what are the experiences with them that's really starting to shape that perspective of an architect? Well, what's what's happening with them that's really sort of giving your mind, okay, these are the things I really need to pay attention to. The experiences that have that have really shaped my perspective as an architect. They boil down to, well, you're having to think from a smaller perspective. You know, what looks interesting from 36 inches high rather than 72 inches high? What are some unconventional uses of existing features of the house? Because I know we have a we have a little window ledge that we put plants on and other things, but William decided one day that that was going to be where he was going to sit and or stand. So, and it, and it's a good 
almost it's two foot six off the ground. So he, he had to climb up there to get there and we're using it for plants and everything. But he's like, nah, I'm going to stand here. And, and as it turns out, it's actually a pretty good little place to sit. And we were like, you know, it's not hurting anything. We, we, we actually used it for, for seating as well, especially when we're feeding them. It's actually pretty convenient, but it's one of those things that you're, you're learning from somebody who doesn't quite have the same set of reference points that you do. <laughs> and, and I, I really think that's, that's how it has really impacted my view as an architect is, is seeing, okay, I have to, I have to look look at things maybe slightly differently to see, okay, here, here's how, here's how somebody else who, who is completely uninformed as to how they're going to be used, how, how they might use them and thinking completely outside the box for, for, for those types of use situations. (laughs) Well, I always think too about this notion of, you know, you, you brought up that sort of smaller person perspective. What are they looking at 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 that height? All I can think is, okay, a smaller perspective, what can they grab at that height? What's on a shelf somewhere that they might be able to get their hands on that they shouldn't get on? And suddenly it's like, oh, there's a whole other world down here. <laughs> and like, okay, now I've, I've got to figure out, you know, kind of run through the house and, and start picking up all the things that they might actually be able to get their hands on. But I would imagine that's, that's you and Faye have probably have that that experience um, and probably very quickly too. Cause, cause didn't you, I think the first year they were born, not the first, first Christmas, but the second Christmas. So once they had turned one, I believe you guys had gotten a tree, but when I was at the house, you'd wedged it into the corner and like sort of blocked it in. So nobody could get to it. Oh, that's true. I told, and we, we did that this year too. <laughs> I totally didn't even think of that. Yeah. We're even, we're even, that's true. We're, we are even arranging our space in such a way to minimize the impacts that holiday decorations have on, on the twins daily interaction with the house. That is very true. Yeah. We have, so we have it wedged in between the couch and the, an old playpen of theirs that we are now using as toy storage. So it, it's kind of trapped in between these two and the kids know that they, they shouldn't really go back there. And if they do, that we've got enough barriers in their way that it slows them down long enough for mom and dad to catch them. I, I can't believe I remember that. So Christmas tree from a dog perspective, my, my brother-in-law's um, first dog was fascinated with a Christmas tree and he didn't know it until he came home one day and he walked into the living room and there were little glittery things all in the carpet in the living room. And he's like, what is all this? And he looked at the tree and realized she had systematically gone over and started taking the, the glass balls off of the tree because they were a ball and she wanted to play with that ball. So she would take one off the tree and start to walk away with it, and it would break in her mouth. And so she would spit it out on the floor, and then she would go back and get another one. <laughs> so, so from about three feet down, there were no Christmas, none, none of the Christmas balls were left on the tree. It was just naked because she had just been fascinated with this and thought, well, I'm going to play. Dad's not here. I need a ball to play with. I'm going to go get one. And 
from that point forward, he knew he didn't, you know, okay, from here down, we don't decorate with anything that she could possibly take off the tree and break. And that's just how he sort of approached things going forward. But, you know, that, that is, that's that dog parent perspective for our end. We got to where we were looking at how are the dogs really seeing the space and how are they getting around the space? Because we had, I think our first dog, Daisy, we had her for almost 11 years and or maybe, maybe 10 years we got her when she was one, but we realized probably about at about her 10th year that she was starting to have some arthritis issues. And the doctor was confirmed, had kind of confirmed that for us. And she was still getting up and, and down and, and doing pretty well. But right about year number 11, right before she passed, we realized, okay, she's having trouble getting in the doggy door because it was a little bit of a step up from outside. So you could, you could do it. And luckily she had legs long enough to handle it, but it was getting to be a bit of a challenge. So we actually had someone come over and build her this uh, handicap ramp for the dog door so that she could simply go up the ramp and then into the door and wouldn't have to, wouldn't have to try to jump through the door or try to basically kind of crawl herself through the door. So is that sort of thing where suddenly you're seeing from that perspective that, you know, how is the dog accessing the space? How are they really using the space? And and what sort of universal design principles or ADA standards in, in buildings and design can, can we really take and really adjust to the pet, you know, adjust to the dogs? How, how do we put those things in place? The, the, only thing that, the only thing that really cracked me up about the whole thing was that our other dog, Cecil, the ramp was still there. You know, we lost Daisy, but the ramp was still there. Cecil never used it as far as we knew because he would go out on the landing and then just jump down off the landing. <laughs> it was like, dog, there's a ramp there you can use. But no, out the doggy door and jump off the landing and onto the ground and go run around and do his business. But yeah, it, it is suddenly you find yourself thinking about all those design things that you would do for a building. Now suddenly you're doing for your dog. And I, I think you you pinned... Um, was it the BarkBox office that had sort of kind of incorporated this idea? Yeah, no, the the, the BarkBox office in Columbus, Ohio was actually a really neat example of of architecture, at least at, on a commercial level, that was specifically geared towards both dogs and people in, in such a way that everybody kind of cohabitated peacefully and and it had clean floors that were that were easily easily mopped up there were ramps that that could ease dog transitions into into higher places like benches and things like that and the whole atmosphere just seemed like it was a, a fairly dog friendly work environment that i thought was a, a fairly unique example of how one might go about designing a space very intentionally for both dogs and humans. But since we're starting to creep a little bit into the design of spaces, Larry, what is, what is one thing that, that you would include in, in a dog-friendly design for your house or, or a client's house who was looking for something like that, if you could? What, just one thing. Just one thing. Only one thing. Oh, my gosh. Now, I, I, I kind of hark back to what I talked about earlier about the, the this special room for the dog, but, but maybe not so much the, the whole room. I, I, the way the house is built currently, the way our house is built currently, is that the doggy door is on an exterior wall because our garage doesn't connect to the house. But So anyway, so doggy door on the exterior wall, 
we have built steps up to it so the dogs have easy access to it. But it immediately dumps into James's office. And so when one of the dogs comes in, if it's been raining, it's a wet dog immediately in his office. And of course, what does every wet dog like to do when they come inside? We want to shake. We want to get the water off. Oh, no. <laughs> so, oh, no is correct. I mean, exactly. Because suddenly you're, you're challenged with if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in there and I'm paying attention, can I get a towel over them as quickly as possible? So for me, and, he, and even honestly, the same thing coming in the back door of the house when we let her out, she comes back in. We have a towel by that door. So when she walks back in, if it's been raining, we can immediately throw it on her and start to towel her off, which she loves to death because suddenly she's getting you know extra pets. But that would be the one thing I would love to have in the house would be like sort of that the dog door vestibule so that the dog could come in. And if they shook, it didn't matter because it was tiled surface and we could just wipe it down or something and, and maybe have a, a designated sort of carpet pad for their paws to absorb or uh, for the. Uh, water to be absorbed out of their paws. I think that could be kind of a cool, cool space to have. And I think, you know, some someday maybe if I'm we're finally building a house from scratch for us, we can actually incorporate that idea in because I, you know, you think about these houses, these townhomes or not townhomes, townhomes, um, brownstones, I guess, in New York, where you where you have two sets of doors. You have the the outer door, then you have that sort of vestibule where you can drop your coat whatever then you have the second set of doors going into the house and to me it's that same sort of concept except on a much much smaller and probably muddier and wetter scale but i think that's what i would choose well what about you what's the one thing that you think you might might sort of incorporate at some point so from a parenting perspective of of two small children well william's actually pretty tall but from from two young children, I think the thing that I would change that if I could just snap my fingers and change it right now, it would definitely have to be the doorknobs and handles and, and, and honestly, anything that looks like a handle, because that has been the biggest target over the last two years for the kids to that the kids are drawn to anything that they can grab onto anything that they can, they can explore, open up like doorknobs and and anything that looks like them is is always the primary draw so i would recess all of our kitchen cabinet hardware to where it's either built into the door or it's just non-existent altogether and you just have to pull it open or even even something as simple as a, a doorstop like the little doorstops that go boing boing like those are a blast for any of the one-year-olds that are crawling except we didn't have we didn't have those flexible ones. We actually had the the stiff ones. They, they look a little nicer. They, they add a little bit more of an aesthetic appeal to, to me as an architect. So we got the 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 stiff ones. But William and Riley, since they were crawling, they either thought of it as a chew toy, or if they didn't think of it as a chew toy, once they got up to walking, they they were using it as a. Uh, a step and and you could just hear it you can just hear it come out of the baseboard with that little little crunch just like and you're like oh come on <laughs> so i would i would i would make handles and doorknobs as invisible as possible that that would be parenting advice to or from an from one architect to anybody else out there with <laughs> with young kids just make the make those doorknobs and and 
hardware just vanish or as invisible as possible because they are the the number one favorite place to go. Because, you know, if you're in the kitchen, that's where all the pots and pans are stored. You know, you can get into all kinds of fun stuff if you can just open up those doors. That, that's, that is definitely the one thing that I would get rid of or minimize. I can't say I would blame you for that because... I could see, you know, you go back to that sort of that, what's what's at the three foot height? And suddenly it's like, ooh, look, all those knobs. It's something to grab hold of. Ooh, and I can get into the cabinet. What's in here? So, what, which sort of comes back to this whole baby proofing thing. As an adult, for one thing, but also as an architect, I should be not should not be stymied by baby proofing. But if you're not a parent and you go over to someone's house and you're trying to get into something and they have small children suddenly you're trying to figure out how to get into the cabinet because they have now baby proofed it. And if they're, they're smart. And like you said, you know, there's no knobs. You don't put the baby proofing on the outside. You put the baby proofing on the inside. (laughs) And now suddenly I'm trying to get into a cabinet that is a grown man and an architect. I should be able to get into with no problem, but there's some new device that I've got to now, now figure out and, and usually it's not too challenging, but it's that initial like, oh, crap. Okay, now how do I get in here? <laughs> and I've, I've actually experienced that more than once. But, but I think, you know, as, as a parent, of course, you have to be cautious about that. But, but I, so, yeah, so I, I love this idea that, that you would just do away with all the knobs and handles and probably all the door stops, too, at this point. But or or maybe maybe go back to the ones that do go boing boing boing, so that you can actually have them survive. But as listeners, this is a great opportunity for you to tell us. So so, what do you see from from a from a parent's perspective, from a from a pet owner's perspective? What are the things that you think of when you think about architecture? You think about design or the things in your house that you might change to better accommodate your child or your pet, or maybe sometimes better to just better accommodate you with your child and with your pet. So you can always, always email us those comments or message us those comments. If you want, you can reach me at Larry at spotteddogarchitecture.com. Of course, on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, um, sorry, on Twitter and Instagram. Wow. LinkedIn. Yes, please reach me on LinkedIn. No, skip that. If you want to reach me on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Spotted Dog Arch. And of course, we do have an Architecture Geeks website now. So, so Matthew, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, so you can always go to the Architecture Geeks website at architecturegeeks.com. You can find me on Twitter at ArchGeekMatt. And you can find us on Instagram at ArchGeeksPodcasts. So look for us we're pretty much everywhere these days let us know what you think yeah definitely let us know what you think because i you know i've been i've been a dog dog parent long enough and and matthew is getting his feet wet really really wet with the twins so so it'd be interesting to hear all that all that commentary and thank you guys for listening and join us again next week i think are we doing an international next week we are doing a we are doing a podcast about color in architecture and and the ways that and the ways that that Brazil and and a few other places that that we've been to have uh, have really incorporated that into into the into the buildings rather than just the 
shades of brown. So I won't, I won't go into too much more detail. We'll save that for next week, but <laughs> thank y'all for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye guys.